On December 11th, 2023, day 18 of season 99 of Learned League, we learned of beneficiaries of section 2 of the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and I later learned the history of Alliance of Succession, which both required bringing guys like Gerald Ford and Nelson Rockefeller to the vice presidency, and also goes much deeper down a roster to sort the order for more than a dozen possible presidential replacements. Why do we have such long orders ready? Could that many dominoes fall? Ever since civilizations have chosen leaders, they've had to contemplate how those leaders get replaced when they are no longer able to lead, most ultimately through death. Or if you think of a leadership title as a possession, you can think of it being inherited like any other possession. And very often, leadership did come with a physical crown or castle or what have you being passed down. And for most of human history, leaders weren't elected and lines of succession followed bloodlines. This is, of course, still the case in monarchies, most of which are hereditary in how they choose leaders. The British line of succession is probably the most familiar to my audience, so it's what I'll stick with for this example. Current rules for succession were codified in the 1689 Bill of Rights and the 1701 Act of Settlement after James II fled England and William and Mary were installed to replace him. The most recent accession to the British throne was very recent, when King Charles III finally replaced his mother Elizabeth II after seven decades of waiting being first in line to the throne. Charles was Prince of Wales before that, which is the position given to the next in line for the British throne. And that position is now held by Charles's elder son, William. After William in the line comes William's three children in order, George, Charlotte, and Louis. But if and when George has children of his own, they will move ahead of Charlotte in the order. Basically, if you're not the firstborn of a firstborn of a firstborn and so on, the odds of you getting onto the throne are very low. On their official website, the Royals' official line of succession currently runs 24 people deep, ending with number 24, Master Lucas Tyndall, who is a two-year-old toddler who is a grandson of King Charles' sister, Princess Anne. Master Lucas would actually be slightly higher up on the depth chart if the current rules were in place when Anne was born. Because it wasn't until 2011 that the UK conferred equal standing to women in the line of succession. In the 300 years before that, a younger brother would always leapfrog his older sister or sisters, which is why Anne's younger brothers, Andrew and Edward, and their kids are still ahead of her on the list. Since this was a question about the U.S. Constitution, apologies may be in order for that detour into British monarchy. The original U.S. Constitution was clear that a vice president will ascend to the presidency if a president dies or is otherwise incapacitated. But pretty quickly, the U.S. prepared for lines beyond that which have still never been used. The Constitution said succession beyond the vice president should be decided by Congress, and so pretty early in its existence, Congress enacted the first Presidential Succession Act in 1792. They had to decide who would come after the vice president, and their choices at that time were personal. The Secretary of State at that time was Thomas Jefferson, and he annoyed a lot of the Federalists, so instead the group chose the less offensive President Pro Tem of the Senate, John Langdon, to be the first in line after vice president. Nowadays, the President Pro Tem is the most senior senator in the majority caucus of the Senate, and that's currently Senator Patty Murray of Washington, 73 years old. Murray is not young by most definitions, but she is the youngest person to hold the post in more than five decades. The 1792 plan also had a second person in line after the President Pro Tem of the Senate. That was the Speaker of the House. But that's as far as it went. The line of succession only went two people deep at that time. The 1792 Presidential Succession Act was revisited nearly a century later, in 1886, after a series of presidential assassinations and then the death of Vice President Thomas Hendricks in 1885. Instead of putting legislators like the President Pro Tem and then the Speaker of the House next, the 1886 bill went to people from the executive branch, namely Secretaries of Cabinet Departments, in the order in which their Cabinet Department was created. This meant the Secretary of State came next, which was apparently more palatable now that Jefferson was long dead and out of the picture. And the overall order went from two people deep to seven people deep. It was Secretary of State, 
then Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of War, Attorney General, Postmaster General, Secretary of the Navy, and Secretary of the Interior. And for long stretches of time in the next six decades or so, there were a lot of times when the Secretary of State was indeed first in line for the presidency. During those years, three presidents died in office, McKinley, Harding, and FDR, and two vice presidents, Garrett Hobart and James Sherman, also died in office. So there were lots of times when there was no vice president standing by. After Vice President Harry Truman got into the White House upon the death of President Roosevelt in 1945, he felt a little squeaky about getting to pick who his successor would be. Truman felt like the successor should be someone who was an elected official, not a cabinet secretary. So shortly before the end of World War II, Truman got a bill introduced that would be enacted a couple years later when America was less busy finishing a war. This bill now had the Speaker of the House as the first person in line after the Vice President, followed by the President pro tem of the Senate, and then all the cabinet officials and the order of their departments had been created after that. And this is how it's been ever since. Every time a new cabinet department is created, its new secretary goes to the back of the line of succession. So the most recent one currently is the Department of Homeland Security. Not all cabinet secretaries are eligible to be president, so sometimes they get skipped in the order. For example, Jennifer Granholm, the former Michigan governor who is now the Secretary of Energy, was born in Canada. So she was not a natural-born U.S. citizen, and therefore still is not eligible to be president, as per the Constitution. A more modern twist on this rule you may know is the designated survivor practice. Just in case the president, vice president, speaker, president pro tem, and all the cabinet secretaries get wiped out at once, which is only really ever any sort of risk when they're all in the Capitol building at the same time for presidential address, now the president picks one of the lower ranking cabinet folks to hang out somewhere else far away for the evening, just so there's somebody left in case everybody else blows up. This started in the 80s during Cold War nuclear fears when Reagan took office, and has been happening ever since. The process of picking the designated survivor is by all accounts pretty random, but they also sometimes choose someone intentionally irrelevant whom the president won't want to spotlight or name during their big speech, and the cameras won't need to show this person during the State of the Union. So for that night, if you're the designated survivor, you're either the most relevant or irrelevant person they could think of, depending on your self-esteem at the moment. Thank you for listening to I Later Learned. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends as always and stay up to date with our output by subscribing on Apple or Spotify or wherever and leave reviews. Just the stars even on your podcast apps, those help a bunch and you can join fellow listeners to discuss the show on the Learned League Facebook page or on the Learned League message board on which the thread is just sort of devolved into a discussion of my mispronunciations, which is fun, I guess. And if you want to support me in this show and my writing and not hear me mispronounce anything, you can read my words instead on the pages of a book. I wrote a biography of Naomi Osaka called Naomi Osaka, and you can pre-order it now before it comes out next month. A link to buy is in the description here, and I'd be grateful to anyone listening who picks up a copy for themselves or a tennis fan in their lives. You can email me at the show at ilaterlearn.com. Until next time, here's to learning. Mm -hmm.